Happy Friday to each and every one of you. I hope you're having a great last day of your work week and you're looking forward to a great weekend. I hope you will also make sure you are there at your home congregation, worshiping and fellowshipping and studying and singing and praying and serving with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't have a place like that to call home, what in the world's going on? Go out there, do your research, find a place near you, and get plugged in there. You need it. Uh, if you happen to be looking right now, and you're within driving distance of the Elkhart East Building, please come, check us out. Maybe we can be the place where you will settle down and call it home. Also want to give a shout out to all of you who have been supporting Into the Word financially. And every little bit of that helps. If there's any of you that are feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit to assist in that, then get your pens or pencils ready and jot down the contact information at the end of the program today and then send your one-time or ongoing gift of any amount to that address and 100% of it will be used to keep this program on the air. Thanks for taking care of that. Let's open to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to start at verse number 10. The Apostle Paul is writing uh, very transparently, I think, very emotionally at times, to his young protege, Timothy. Uh, Paul is in Rome, in prison, and it's not looking good for him as far as this world is concerned. Uh, Timothy is in Ephesus, uh, and that's where he's been serving for quite some time at Paul's direction. And so Paul wants to give this last bit of information and encouragement to young Timothy. And most recently, he was kind of telling him to, to just kind of hang in there because the peoples of this world, the peoples of this time period, this last days period, they're going to be a tough bunch, including some people who claim to be spiritual, maybe even a little bit religious, uh, but they don't really have the power of God in them. And uh, we, who happen to be preachers and teachers, uh, need to be trying to still redeem those folks. And so here is Paul telling Timothy to get some encouragement from Paul's own modeling. So he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So all those qualities of a good and godly Christian minister. And then examples of how to deal with when things go badly. Uh, verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. Uh, you might remember uh, during his time in that region, which is Timothy's stomping grounds, that's where Timothy's from, uh, he was stoned possibly to death 
and had to be miraculously raised up or, or healed because he was right at the verge of death. Uh, and Timothy was aware of all of that. He knew that there was strong and hard resistance uh, to the gospel. And that, that does not matter to a preacher, to a teacher. The gospel still needs to go out. It should not matter to Christians. Uh, Paul writes next, Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's the norm. If you live like Jesus, then you should expect to be treated like Jesus was treated by those that he lived with. And they didn't like the lifestyle that he was living because it called their lifestyle into question. And so we Christians just need to suck it up uh, and live that lifestyle regardless because that's just the way it's going to have to be. Verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So you thought it was bad already? Well, it can probably get worse. It may even get worse. And we need to just keep living for Jesus. And if you're a preacher, a teacher, you keep ministering for Jesus. Verse 14, but as for you... Paul to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, we already know the names of his grandma and his mom, Lois and Eunice, and uh, how they were teaching him early on about the Scripture and God of Scripture. Uh, and then he was no doubt taught in his synagogue uh, by multiple uh, preachers and teachers. Uh, and then the Apostle Paul comes along and he teaches him and trains him some more. So Paul says, you need to stand firm in what you've been learning, remembering who you learned it from. Verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, that is a reference to Jewish scripture. What's commonly referred to today in Jewish circles as the Tanakh, which is just, uh, it's an acrostic about the three sections, uh, an abbreviation acrostic of the three sections of the Old Testament. Uh, they had their, their sacred scriptures in 22 scrolls of the of that period uh, of the first century. Uh, those are the exact same writings that we have in 39 books of the Old Testament. Uh, we break them up into uh, smaller units. But uh, he was acquainted and taught from these sacred inspired writings, and then Paul says of that, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scripture 
the written, inspired scripture is so important, folks. It is why I put such emphasis upon it, because it's where we get our information, our God-given information. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and his word is full of that knowledge. And so we need to be soaking it up. Uh, the next verse, next two verses are actually the theme verse for end of the word. And you hear it every single session as we begin. All scripture is, and I, I can't help it, I gotta go back to my New American Standard, inspired by God. Um, inspire is just the Latin word for breathing. So it's breathed out by God and profitable. For teaching, teaching is when you communicate information from one person to another. For reproof, reproof is when you tell people what's wrong with something. For correction, that's what you do when you're trying to help them do it the right way. And for training in righteousness, um, the word for training here is a word about youth instruction. And it's about growing stronger and learning how to do things correctly. And that's definitely what we do with kids. Uh, And so we need to do that for all people so that they can be righteous the way God wants them righteous. Verse 17, that the man or woman Uh, The wording here is most certainly inclusive. The man or woman of God may be competent. Now, when we talk about competent, it means that we've got everything we need to do and know how to do it, right? And so that's kind of the idea of the word in the Greek language. It was the idea of fit it out, kit it up. Uh, You've got all your tools that you need to get a job done. So, the scripture is what helps us be competent, fitted out, equipped for every good work. And you remember that we have all been saved to walk in the good works of God that were already known before the foundation of the world. God knew what needed to get done. And when we were saved, when we were sanctified, when we were filled with the Holy Spirit, he assigned those good works to us. Um, We are to do these good works uh, in the presence of all the peoples of this world so that they can see them and give glory to God. So it's all about letting our light shine in in a real way. Everything we do we do to draw attention in a positive way to God. Chapter number four. Now, I I need to really emphasize again, this letter is written to a preacher. And so all you preachers out there, especially you younger ones, you need to be paying attention to this book. Uh, This next section is most definitely directed 
at you and at me. Chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, that's a lot to be thrown together here. He, he's not exactly putting us under oath, but he is putting us on, um, on notice that God is watching, that Jesus is watching that Jesus, who will judge everyone, is the one watching us. Jesus, who is coming again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's watching us. And with that in mind, Paul says, verse 2, preach the word. What word? The inspired word the word that was breathed out by God, the word that is contained here in the written word that we call the Bible. It's made up of the Old Testament, which came to the Jewish folks, and the New Testament, which came to the Jewish folks, plus us Gentile folks. Because in the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament, the seed of the woman arrived on the scene and offered his life as an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins so that all of us could come back into right relationship with the creator God of the universe. And so we preachers need to be talking about that. Now, preaching... Preaching is a a formal sort of announcement. Um, It doesn't really lend itself well to back and forth. Uh, It's formulated to kind of present uh, without interruption. Um, That is something we preachers all do on a regular basis. We have our little sermons Uh, and sometimes we'll do little lectures about uh, the Word. Uh, But there is also teaching that's going to go on as well, which allows feedback and questioning and interaction. But we need to be preaching the Word, brothers, and we need to be ready in season and out of season. You know what it means by that? It means when it's convenient and also when it's not convenient. It means when you've prepared for it, and when suddenly the opportunity presents itself despite the fact that you're not, you haven't prepared anything formal for it. And I have tried my best to um, live up to this standard so that no matter what, if somebody asked me to come and talk to a group of people or even a couple of people, about Jesus, about the Word of God, I'd be all over that. Um, It wouldn't matter what they wanted to talk about. I am sure that there's enough information in the Scripture that is at my uh, fingertips. We could get it done. And all of us preachers, you young ones included, you need to be ready for that. And uh, I despair sometimes 
when I've seen um, preachers demur about answering questions or taking on unscheduled uh, appointments because, in their words, I just don't think I'd be ready to deal with the issues that might come up. Well, maybe you need to spend some more time in the Word. Okay? So preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove. That's that idea of showing them what's wrong. Rebuke. That's a very strong sense of telling them that they need to get their act together. And exhort. That's an encouragement idea, you know. Uh, impel people to move in the right direction with complete patience and teaching. So we preachers, that's our major function. We soak up the Word of God. We live in the Word of God. We study the Word of God so that every opportunity that presents itself on God's schedule, not ours, we are good to go. And um, as is the case with teaching all the time, we're there for the student. We're not there for ourselves. Um, I, I remember, sometimes I like to use the illustration of when I was teaching elementary school with younger students. I remember there were times when I had one student that was having a hard time assimilating information or processing the information. And I would try my best of all these different ways, these different angles, these different methodologies to try to help the, the young student click with the information. And I had to be patient in that and not get frustrated uh, and uh, not let them get frustrated. Because the goal always was that eventually they'd go, oh, Mr. Short, I think I get it. It works this way. And then when they could repeat it back to me in their own words, in their own thinking as to how it, how it fit together, how it worked, and it was correct, I'm like, you've got it. You're right. And then I know that teaching has happened. The same thing is what we preachers are doing for the Scripture. I love it when people tell me, wow, you really made that thing come alive for me. Or, oh, now I understand something that I've never understood before. It all makes sense. See, I love it when I hear Bible students say that, and I love it even more when Bible students live the Christian life that they have now seen in Scripture. And that is your goal, preachers. Get it done. Verse number three. Big time somber warning here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound or healthy teaching, but instead will have itching ears that, uh, so that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. 
Now, this one really frustrates me because I see it exemplified in the current Christian, and that's in air quotes, culture, where it is what the preachers preach and teach is driven by culture. Uh, and it is driven by the perceived needs of a certain targeted group uh, where they take uh, surveys and do in-depth studies of demographics. And based on all of that, they tailor their preaching and teaching to not just simply bring people to Jesus Christ. That'd be one thing. But they do it in order to bring people into their specific building, their campus, their site, and with the intention of keeping them committed to that place and giving money into that place. And that is problematic to me because often they will intentionally avoid the things that might make people uncomfortable. They will not spend an awful lot of time talking about the negatives of Scripture. And that's exactly what Paul is describing here. Um, The time is coming when people will not endure healthy teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own desires, what they want. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, into fictions, into stories, into storytelling. One of the other things that I have as a pet peeve of mine uh, is... The preaching structure where the Bible content is minuscule, but current culture, such as a video clip from a current uh, movie or television program, or maybe something from a current popular song, that is what they have as the core of their teaching, because that's relational. That that relates to the people in the audience. Uh, and then they teach from that. And then they'll throw a little Bible in there just to make it, you know, Bible-centric. Uh, and that's fictional. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Uh, and that is not what we preachers need to be doing. We need to be on top of God's Word And having soaked it up, figure out a way to pass that information on to the people that we know need it and help them not just simply to accept it, but to act on it. And often that preaching will take the form of repent, change the way you're thinking, quit thinking like the world, think like God, repent and change the way you're living. And so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the job of an evangelist. That's the job of a preacher. Verse 5, As for you, Timothy, 
Always be sober-minded. Keep your head screwed on straight. Endure suffering. See, people are not going to like it sometimes when you tell them the full truth of God. Suck it up, preacher. Deal with it. It's par for the course. Do the work of an evangelist. Now, an evangelist in the most strict presentation of that word is someone that's breaking new ground, telling the good news of Jesus Christ. But in practicality, it goes deeper than that. It is someone who fulfills the Great Commission, which is going into all the world, make disciples of all the different ethnic groups out there, immersing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's talking about the conversion process. But then comes this part, and teaching them to keep all the things that I've taught you. So evangelism is not just simply about making new converts. It's helping new converts become fully mature Christians in their lifestyle and also in their part in making new Christians. And so Paul says here, Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. You fulfill your ministry. You get your job done. Now, in the waning moments that we have today, I want you to, again, understand that Paul is writing this from a jail cell, that he does not expect that he is going to be released from uh, this time. And so he is just about done, but he's okay with that. Uh, And he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That's something they did at the temple uh, in honor of God. They poured a drink offering. And the moment it was poured out of that cup, it just went into the ground and it was gone. But it had served its purpose in that process. That's Paul, he says. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. And again, he's good with that. Before, he said, you know, for, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But you know what? I think for the present moment, it's better for me to stick around for your purposes. He's not writing that anymore. He's saying, I think it's time for me to go home. I think I've finished my job. Timothy, it's now your turn. Preachers, get out there and do what you need to do.